0: The analyst inside cricket looking back at West Indies tour, England's performances in those three tests, and a consolation victory, I suppose you'd say, in the end in St Lucia. Actually, England played really well at all the games, quite one sided. But I suppose overall, that uh, three test series seems to have posed more questions in a way than it's answered. One of them would be what is England's best top three? And we're going to invite you to suggest your own. Uh, people that perhaps should play in that test match in July against Ireland and then obviously in the Ashes after that. Simon, well, firstly, I mean, do you think it was a bit of a, not so much a consolation victory as a meaningless victory, that last test?
1: I don't think it was a meaningless victory because I think if England had lost 3-0, if you sort of look at it on the negative side, if England had lost 3-0, then that would have been serious alarm bells to go to the West Indies and be... Whitewashed or blackwashed, whatever you want to call it, out there in the West Indies against a side that England expected to, to beat, to lose 3-0, I think would have been really seriously damaging for them. So I, I think it was an important victory. I think it, it sort of seemed to lack a bit of that intensity. West Indies had won the series. I'm, I'm sure they didn't really let up, but I know whether psychologically that you, you know you do just ease off a bit. They didn't have Jason Holder. England, I think, you know, won a good toss and they made the most of it. And I think that's what what they didn't do in their first innings in the series. They didn't dig in and try to wear the West Indies' bowlers down. And perhaps they learnt more in that first innings in the third test match. And that got them to where they wanted to be. And actually, you know, when you're imagining going to the West Indies and doing well, the third test was a template for that, really, I think. Get runs on the board and then get runs on the board and then put some pressure on.
0: And it took them three tests to work out what was the best combination. It seemed to have the right mix of specialist batsmen, a fast bowler, Mark Wood, who obviously made a, a dramatic re-entry into test cricket, uh, had some good all-rounders in their, pretty much their appropriate spots, Stokes at at six and, and so on, Moen Alley at eight. And I, I just think it it had more cohesion as a team, really. And they, uh, I mean, Root obviously getting his hundred, so that's only one series now in his whole career. The first series he played at home, I think, where he's never made a 50. He was in danger of, of failing in this series to, to do that, but of course got a hundred in the last test. And it actually it was interesting that, you know, Alistair Cook was saying, you know, typical of Root, to get a hundred, you know, in a fairly, I suppose, insignificant match in terms of the series, but just an opportunity there for him to show his class. And it wasn't the prettiest route innings, but he got the job done excellently, and that must just give him a bit of confidence. But it's a long time now till England play another Test match. It's sort of five months till mid July. Uh, The Test match against Ireland, Ireland's first test at Lords, of course, as well, and first test in England, and then the Ashes following hot on the heels of that. Both teams, Australia and England now, in mid-table in the ICC test rankings. Australia just narrowly ahead of England, I think, on run rate. Both teams on 104 points. I suppose that tells you something. It tells you that they're both very inconsistent teams who've had their problems, especially away from home. Australia lost to India, even at home. England, at least, record at home is is a bit more unblemished, I suppose. And it, it's it all sets it up brilliantly. I mean, we tried predicting what's going to happen in the ashes and it's impossible, isn't it, <laughs> to have any idea. Partly because there's so, so much cricket to be played between now and then
1: anyway, including, of course, the World Cup. Yeah, we don't know who's going to be fit. You've got two unpredictable sides, two sides with lots of talent, but you don't know how it's all going to Come out on the day. What, what I would say about Root's hundred was, I mean, there was a sort of hint of sort of ruthlessness about it. Uh, you know, it wasn't the most valuable hundred. England would have won, I think, without a Joe Root hundred. They would have won without a Joe Root half century. Good, good for him. But what he did, of course, is what other players in that top four didn't do. They didn't go on. There are other players who had the chance to to really stake their claim. You think of Burns. You think of. Uh, Denley, who did well, but you know, a hundred. Yeah, you know, there's a real cachet about hundred, and of course Jennings and and Butler, who's who's guaranteed to play in the Ashes as long as he s- stays fit, of course. But then, you know, think of that top three, they didn't do what Root did, and there's I think there's that sort of ruthlessness about a top class player. The other thing I think as well is that I I just sense that you know coming into this year, the biggest things in cricket this year for England are the Ashes and the World Cup. And I'm not saying the West Indies is, you know, is in the way of that. But clearly, it, you know, it, it's not the top priority. And I reckon that among those players, and there are quite a few of them in the England squad who are you know, white ball players as well, I think there'll be a relief in a way that the test cricket is now out of the way and they can sort of really focus on the, the business end of the year or the, or the business part of the year, which is white ball cricket. And the World Cup and the build-up to that, which you know really starts now in earnest yeah, for England yeah. with this one-day series coming up against West Indies.
0: Looking back at, uh, at, at, the, at the the series, I suppose, and and looking ahead as well, one of the things that will help England is that, in terms of Test cricket, is that. They had a pretty poor warm up to this series, and the guys hadn't played much cricket before that. Obviously, the ones in Sri Lanka had then a month or so off before coming out to the Caribbean, only two warm up games. They were fairly low key warm up games. But in the sort of advance of the Ashes, there are potentially nine championship games in the summer. So you feel that, that there's a lot of opportunity there for the Red Bull specialists to really stake a claim and, and stick their neck out. I, I, it would be very interesting to know from from you, the listeners, who you think England's top three should be for the Ireland test match and the Ashes. I, I think I'm going for definitely Rory Burns. I mean, he's done enough for me to show he's certainly got the aptitude mentally for playing Test cricket at the moment, one or two technical things perhaps have just crept in. That obviously teams will look at. But he, he like looks what, like, like what? well, he, uh, playing the cut shot a, a little bit too freely. He's got out a couple of times like that. He doesn't bring his back down straight on off stump. At times when the bowling's from round the wicket, it's probably a, a type of attack that he hasn't seen an awful lot of. Certainly not uh, at that level of skill. That the, 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 the Kind of trend for bowling round the wicket to left-handers has become, you know, almost a sort of flood, really. And it's it's when you get really skillful operators doing it, it's it's a hard thing to combat. But uh, at the moment, his bat comes down a bit crookedly when he's playing on off stump from bowlers around the wicket. And uh, you know, he's got out a couple of times, click, clipping the ball in the air on the leg side. Of course, the classic dilemma for a batsman is that they a couple of times they get caught in the slips. So they think, well, I better get over to off stump a bit more to counter the movement away, and then they end up overbalancing and clipping leg stump balls in in the air on the leg side. So it's it's the constant examination of of balance and so on for a batsman. Of the others, Jennings, I'm sorry, it's just a write off. I mean, I I, lo- I love the guy, but his batting, you know, I just if I was a bowler, I'd just want to bowl at him all day. And I've had a bit of a, a spat with um. Uh, a, a man on, on Twitter, who, who said, how can you just write this guy off? Uh, you know, how many test matches have you played in the studio between you, i.e. none? How can you just write a guy off? But, I mean, it's, the evidence is is so car- categorically obvious that he, he just looks like a cardboard cutout against seam bowling, a wicket waiting to happen. And his, his first-class average, never mind his test average, his first-class average is only 33, which doesn't, t- to me suggest someone who's going to make piles of runs at test level when the bowling's even better.
1: Yeah, I mean, he does seem quite well suited to playing in the subcontinent and not against uh, pace attacks. He he looks quite good against spinners. He's got both his hundreds in the subcontinent against Sri Lanka and India. I I, I have to say it's hard to make an argument for him retaining Mm. his test match spot this summer. I mean, I I just don't see where the argument lies in significantly. In his favour. So, Hmm. you know, it looks as if there might be another slot there. Actually, I do see one argument. And that is, if not Jennings, then who? Yes. And, and, And that is that is part of the problem. There aren't obvious candidates to come in. And we've talked about it a lot. And it might well be. That we don't, you know, I've, I've said this before, and it sounds like a strange thing to say when you're picking an England team. It's not necessarily about the best candidate; it's about the least worst. Hmm. Um, uh, and you know, it's, it's an odd situation for England to be in at the, at the top of the order. What about Denley at three? Is, is is that that innings that he played? Does it show you enough that he is worth persevering with?
0: I think it, it, it alarmed me, actually, because he did play some beautiful shots, but it just reminded me of James Vince. He just looks a bit loose for Test cricket. He does play some nice shots. He's got good balance. He, he's quite a fluent player. But I, I worry about that the his technique isn't very precise. And I, I, he looks to me a little bit... Not lazy, exactly, but not decisive in his defence. And, I, I, again, I'd fancy getting him out. If I was bowling to him, I'd think, well, yeah, he might hit me for a few falls. He hits the ball nicely on the up. He's, he's got a lovely uh, style and he hits some gorgeous shots. But I'd always fancy myself at having a chance outside off stump. So, to me, he doesn't look very secure. He does look you know, quite fluent, quite an attractive player. But I wouldn't have an awful lot of confidence against a good bowling attack if I was coming in next.
1: Yeah, and you know he's got that that age factor. It's weird, isn't it, that that England's top three, if you look at their averages. I know they play different numbers of Test matches. They average about 25, 25, and 28. Uh, and you you just want more. You just want those players who who have been selected to sort of stand up and and show you more and show you better numbers. Anyway, so okay, those people listening out there who think they can pick a. Or th- possibly pick a better team than selectors. Give us your top three. Have a c- consider it. Give us your top three for the Ashes. I have to say, I'm I'm really struggling. I don't know where England should go. I mean, there's what are the options? There is something like Jason Roy. I mean, mm-hmm. if Jason Roy scored bucket lo- load of runs in mm-hmm. the in the World Cup, I know it's not like for like, and I know you know he's unfamiliar with the top of the order in in, in red ball cricket. But you know, is it is that extra bit of class? is, is that worth going with as a, as a punt I, I don't know it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a problem the selectors are going to have to solve somehow and just and just go for something it may well be they stick with all three but I, I just don't see that necessarily as working against Australia's pace attack anyway if people want to get in touch with us what should they do Look,
0: the, 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 the email address is theanalystpodcast at com. The Analyst Podcast at gmail.com. Give us your suggestions for England's top three. The top three in the England Lions at the moment is Holden, Duckett and Hain. So you could pick one of those perhaps. I quite like the idea, and though I know this is a huge kind of uh, risk, but I, I, I'm hoping that Hazib Hamid comes back into form. I know he averaged nine last year for, for Lancashire and he's gone away to New Zealand to work on his game. He's Test average is actually forty, so uh, in the in the short uh, test career he's had, and he had the makings of someone who I felt you know he had that dedication to the crease, which I think England desperately need a, almost a sort of Craig Brathwaite type of player who has a very low strike rate but just sells his wicket very dearly and stays in and I think it's also going to be valuable to have a right-hander because there are so many left-handers in the rest of the England order with the likes of Stokes and Monet and, and so on that I just feel, and, and Burns at the top of the order too, I just think it's good to have right-handers because bowlers are just getting so good at bowling at left-handers I think actually right-handers are, are, are going to have an advantage. So if if a right-hander in county cricket can really put his hand up at the top of the order and make runs, and there are more championship games in the middle of the summer this year to give them a chance to play on a decent pitch rather than all the games in April and early May. So there's no excuse, I think, for someone to not put their hand up and say, look at me, I've made 700 runs, 300s in six games, pick me. And I just hope, dearly hope that's the case. Just moving on to the bowling for a second, Um, there's a quote that uh, Ian Pont, the bowling coach, likes to use about fast bowling you can't fire a cannon from a canoe. And what he means by that is you need stability to let go of the ball fast. And I was thinking that actually when I was watching Mark Wood bowl in this last test match. They had some slow motion pictures on telly of where his foot crashes down onto the crease and he lets go of the ball and you can see all the shock waves going through his body. It makes my teeth rattle and my spine tingle actually seeing that because I can remember how often that, that happened to me. But, It's so important to get that real solid position at the crease and so that you're bowling right over the top of a brace front leg. And that's the reason why he's able to bowl fast because even though he's got a small frame, he does really, really brace his knee on the point of release and smash his leg down, which is why he's had so many ankle problems, and bowl right over the top of his front leg. And when he gets his run up right, then he really is at a handful, as he showed and it 's one of the reasons why someone like Jason Holder, a huge man that he is can 't bowl quick because his leg buckles as he lets go of the ball and we 've seen in this test match three bowlers bowling sort of adjusting their run ups uh, in you know even though they 're Test bowlers, they've been tinkering around with their approach. So we had brought Stuart Broad before the test series saying he'd worked with Richard Hadley to shorten his run-up. We had Mark Wood working with the England bowling coaches to lengthen his, which I think is a good thing, because it's got him more momentum into the crease and less reliance on that burst of speed off a short sort of ten-pace run-up, which he was doing before. There's more of a gradual build-up and he really sort of explodes at the crease. And and Anderson, in that last day and a half, amazingly, actually added about four paces to his run-up. He'd had some trouble running down the pitch and maybe hadn't felt quite in sync, perhaps felt he hadn't quite hit the pitch hard enough. So he worked on a a slightly longer run-up with a more gradual build-up to the crease. The same run-up he's had since he was 15 apart from a short spell in about 2005 where he lengthened it to to try and find a bit more pace. He's had the same run-up since he was 15, and now in the middle of a test match, he's adjusted it slightly to try and get even better. I mean, the man leaves no stone unturned in trying to find ways
1: of improving. It's amazing, isn't it? 575 test wickets. I mean, do you think that's a good thing, though? I mean, it's worked for him for for so long, the run-up, that... He's had, clearly. I mean, look at his stats, look at his longevity. Uh, and now he's tinkering, at, you know, at the age of 36, whatever he is. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would say... I,
0: I think it's, it's partly due to, you know, yeah, running on the pitch, uh, which is a problem. And he's maybe trying to just shorten his delivery stride slightly uh, so that he doesn't follow through quite as far into the, the, the danger zone as he was. But I, actually, I think more more significantly, I think as you get older... Sustaining that burst of speed to the wicket over only a few paces is harder, you know, because your body's a bit older. You get a bit tireder. Actually, if you have a slightly longer run-up, you can build up gradually to that moment when you need to explode at the crease. And also, and this is a silly thing, really, but gives you a bit more time when you walk back as well because you've actually got a little bit further to go. It's only you know a matter of a couple of seconds or five seconds, but actually that can all help just to pace yourself a bit more and get through the over.
1: What about Stuart Broad, then, shortening his run-up?
0: Yeah. Well, Stuart Broad shortening his run-up that, that sometimes, um, the key to getting over the top of your front leg, which he hasn't always done very well, uh, is to, and what I mean by that, is that your body is bolt upright as you let go of the ball rather than leaning back a tiny bit in release. Uh, and some way, one way of doing that is to shorten your delivery stride slightly. And I always felt with him, he looked as if he was straining to get to the wicket a bit and sort of over-striding. So shortening your delivery stride a touch can make, sorry, shortening your run-up a touch, can then shorten your delivery stride, shorten your stride pattern a tiny bit, and hopefully you hit the crease at a slightly more upright position, which helps in terms of pace and rhythm and also bounce, because you're bowling from slightly taller.
1: So different things for different bowlers, really, different strokes for different folks, really. Um, It would be remiss of us to not touch on the West Indies and have a look at Uh, Jason Holder, their captain, didn't play in the test match, the last test match, saying our goal is to be world number one. Now, there's a World Test Championship coming up, and so there'll be points on offer for, ch- for future test series, not immediately, but for test series after the World Cup, and England against Australia is the is the first one of those, first in the test championship. Realistically, West Indies as world number one, how much improvement do they need to make, and I suppose they've got to knock you know, a team like India off, I mean, actually if you look at West Indies uh, one of the things that happened before they came into this series, they went to Asia they lost in India comfortably, they lost in Bangladesh comfortably so that, you know, that's something to address for them surely
0: I think they haven't got enough class in the batting uh, you know they've got the, the bowling attack, they've got Reasonable spinners. I mean, Ross and chase isn't a great spinner, but he's steady, and they've got that that left arm spinner as well that, that didn't play, but who Warwickan. is someone, yeah, Warrickan, who's who's obviously got some something. But I just feel their batsmen generally, their top order. I mean, Craig brathwaite is effective, but he's he's someone you, you know you wouldn't mind him staying in really because he's not going to hurt you too much. Shea Hope has been a disappointment, only averaging 23. He's struggled generally. Technically, I thought he looked you know, a bit vulnerable outside off stump and actually also vulnerable when the ball nipped back as well. So he's not convincing to me. John Campbell, quite a nice discovery. He could certainly improve. But you know, if they're relying on people like Roston Chase at number five to, to get them out of situations, Hetmeyer's obviously talented, but if you compare their batting order to the, the power and experience of India and, and, and just skill of India as well, they're, they're nowhere near, are they? So I think their bowling attack is pretty good, but their batting would still worry me. And they're in eighth position in the t- test rankings at the moment. They've got to score significant. Significantly more runs, big scores, to to make inroads in in that table and and be considered as sort of genuine contenders to to win the world championship. I I think, you know, they're going to be mid-table, I'd say, uh, because yeah. they just haven't got enough batting strength.
1: Yeah, I mean they are, they do play India in a test series later this year at home. It'd be fascinating to see how they get on, having made that leap against England and how India cope with them and their pitches, uh, you know, if, they, if there there is something in the pitches out there and that seems to be the way the West Indies have gone, ha- helping their quick bowlers, well India have got a pretty good battery of, of pace bowlers as well, uh, we've got the Test Championship coming, I mean that might be, you know, more realistic for them, uh, we've got the, the point system, 120 points for, for each series, it is quite complicated and I think gradually as time goes on, uh, we'll, we'll get used to how this is going to operate, but basically if you have a, a two match series, if you win a game, you get 60 points. And if you have a three-match series, you win a game, you get 40 points. And if you play a four-match series, you win a game, you get 30 points. And a five-match series, you, you win a game, you get 24 points. I mean, that would have been good, I think, for the, the game in St Lucia, if, if teams were competing for Test Championship points. And I, I think it's, you know, it, it's great, actually, to, to get rid of the, the dead rubber. And every Test match in the future will have something riding on it. And I think that, that's going to be really good for the game.
0: but it is a, it is a, an interesting one which i think will uh, still will will have some ev- evolution because you you pointed out i think that if you win a, a three test series say 3-0 you get 120, 120 points. points and if you win a five test series 3-2 you only get 72 points because you're winning three matches at twenty four points each, so <laughs> slightly sort of weird. you get different points numbers for the same test wins in different lengths of series, so that might lead, need looking at, but yes, yeah, certainly it focuses your attention more on the, the so-called dead dead matches. It's, it's a great initiative, and it, I think it'll help test cricket ultimately and, and great, well done to the West Indies, and you know we predicted a two- one uh, mm. verdict, and we, we were right we <laughs> yeah, just, the just got the wrong team um yeah. i mean fantastic performance by by the west indies great uh, encouragement to to their cricket The pitches, I thought, were much more interesting than than we've seen in the Caribbean over the last few years. That will encourage more quick bowlers, the likes of Shannon Gabriel. And uh, there's some other people in the wings there that that look quite exciting. Kimar Roach, a tremendous sort of second career he's having as a a fast bowler, leading wicket-taker in the series at 18 at just 13. Uh, I mean, you know, fantastic performance and and what a sort of great ambassador for the game as well. And uh, uh, despite that sort of silly uh, little verbal spat on the last day with with Root and Gabriel, I thought the series was played in great spirit too.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would go a bit further than silly. It needs sorting out and, and, you know, there needs to be a sort of clear... uh, definition of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable, and the charge against Shannon Gabriel should sort that out, and you know, whatever the eventual punishment is, it'll be clear to all players what they can and cannot say on the field. You should say, well, that should be clear already, but uh, you know, there are certain areas that are just totally unacceptable.
0: Well certainly Joe Root got some credit generally for his reaction to what Gabriel said there and hopefully it's not too much of a blot on an interesting series. England will come home with their tails between their legs and their record in the Caribbean over the last 10 years or so is now played 10 won only-2 games so they can reflect on where they went wrong and what what to do next time they they visit that part of the world. Uh, We now move on to the one-day series, of course, starting on the 20th of February in Barbados. And uh, before that all starts, um, something completely different. The new Cricketer magazine is out. And just to sort of perk you up, in a way, before the season, after that uh, disappointing performance by England, we've got four different covers for this month's. Issue. all of them featuring a beautiful ground in Britain, a club ground, uh, and they are absolutely stunning pictures. We've got a big sort of 12-page feature section about the, the greatest grounds, the most beautiful grounds in Britain, just to, to uplift you all before the, uh, the spring sort of finally arrives.
1: Excellent. i played on some lovely club grounds. Valley of the Rocks down in, in Devon, that's a lovely ground. I also remember playing on a ground in, in Wiltshire, where you were only allowed to play on Sunday if at six o'clock everyone stopped and looked at the church when the church, uh, you know, when the clock struck six for, for six o'clock. That was the, that was the stipulation and the, the game just had to come to a standstill and everyone had to turn and, and look at the church, which was a fair enough compromise because it was a lovely ground to play on.
0: Yeah, I I played on some some lovely ones as well, and I, I know there's one in Devon, and I, I can't remember the name of it actually, but it's on a big slope, and it's got a stream at the bottom of the guard, of, of the of the outfield down at the bottom of the slope, and if the ball goes down, you know, down here, it ends up in this stream, and they've got a local dog that actually goes and gets it out. So you have to play on not only with the ball all wet from the stream, but with dog spittle all over it. I don't, I don't know if that helps a bit of swing or not, but. Uh, Anyway, that's a sort of unusual idiosyncrasy of one English ground. And another one, my favourite, is uh, the, one, the one at Ventnor in the Isle of Wight where it's in a bowl, so you have to hit the ball up on all sides to get a boundary because the wicket is sort of in the middle of this bowl and you run downhill both ends to to run into bowl. I was watching this beautiful game there a couple of years ago uh, which was coming to this exciting conclusion in this stunning surroundings and it was a Sunday match and the team bowling needed one wicket to win and who was batting but an 11-year-old boy And I sort of was trying to visualise my first ever club match as about an 11-year-old and batting at number 11 and trying to help my team to draw the game. And it was the last over, a spinner was bowling, he defended about four balls really well and everyone was thinking, well, it'd be a lovely ending, you know, if the the, the little 11-year-old boy managed to see his team uh, to a draw. Everybody round the bat and then about the fifth ball of the over he just poked a catch to silly and the... The team winning the game just went absolutely berserk, jumping all over each other to win. And there was just the sight of them as they rushed off. There was just the sight of this little 11 year old boy completely on his knees, totally crestfallen. And I just thought, <laughs> what a sort of brutal game it is, really, in a beautiful setting, but um, sort of ruining a poor 11 year old's day.
1: He'll learn, so, y'all. He'll learn. <laughs> yeah. The brutality
0: no. of the game, even in a beautiful surrounding
1: indeed. I've mean, played on quite a few grounds or a uh, uh, ground in North London uh, used to Botany Bay cricket club where there's a tr- you know, huge tree on, on the outfield. I actually mentioned this on Test Match Special last summer and people sent me a huge number of pictures of grounds with, with trees on. I also find that a bit uh, perplexing really as, as you know, if you're playing and the, the, the local rules. You have to know the local rules. What happens if the ball hits the tree? Uh, mm. Anyway, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm necessarily a great fan of, of cricket grounds with, with trees slap bang In the middle of them, but of course, you know, sometimes you've just got to adapt, haven't you? And you just got to play on the land that you're that you're given. It's you know it's great to have the land in the first place to to play the great game.
0: Yeah. Well, anyway, look out for that feature in the Cricketer magazine coming out uh, this week. And actually, also if you have any grounds we haven't included that you think are worthy of uh, a picture or two, please send those in as well to that same email address, theanalystpodcast at gmail.com. That's it for this week. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll speak to you this time next week.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.